0: 1 Kings chapter uh, 19, verses 1 through uh, 18. Uh, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. "'I've had enough, Lord,' he said. "'Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors.' Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, "'Go up, get up and eat.' He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus, and you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death all any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouth have not kissed him. The second reading is from Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 29. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was put in charge of us until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come... We are no longer under the supervision of the law. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise the word of the Lord.
1: We do it because we want a sense of family. We want our sons and our daughters to be a part of our lives. We want to embrace our children and draw them in. And in the same way, a congregation like ours, who has who has struggled in its life together. Ten years ago when I came here, there were There were twenty-five of us, and and we we wondered if the doors would stay open. And we wrestled, you wrestled, before I came and after, with what does it mean to be the church? And we made up stuff as we went along. Maybe not as creative as you're going to blow your eyeballs out, and you have to, but we still made stuff up in order to include in order to create a space where spiritual children and grandchildren would feel at home would feel welcomed, would feel honored where we would become a family diverse in ethnicity and in thought in theology and in and in class and life but centered always centered on one great truth that Jesus is lord and we're not and that that's a good thing and so we gather this morning in on this the hottest day of the year and isn't it great that the air conditioning works this summer <laughs> Thanks be to God. And we we gather not because we've figured stuff out. We gather in the confidence that God continues to be at work in our lives. We gather in the hope that God will continue to reveal amazing truths to us. That that God will continue to build a community among us that, that is even better than San Diego. And so these two passages, 1 Kings 19 and Galatians 3, intersect in our lives this morning to remind us of how the gospel is an inclusive gospel, A gospel that that gathers us together, not drives us apart. The first Kings passage is the story of the aftermath of Elijah dealing with the prophets on Mount Carmel. The text opens with Ahab and Jezebel taking stock of the utter defeat of that day on the mountain when the prophets of Baal had confronted the prophet Elijah and he had confronted them and they had, they had decided to have a divine arm-wrestling match whose God can actually answer prayers and altars were constructed and prayers were cried out and, and long story short, God of Israel, Yahweh, won the day. And Jezebel and Ahab took stock on that day. And they said to the prophet Elijah, they sent word to him, what happened to our prophets? happened to the, to the royal establishment on this day? Well, that, that's going to happen to you by the end of tomorrow. Count on it. Now, Ahab and Jezebel had been dealt a blow, but not a mortal one by any stroke. They were still very much in charge in Israel. They still owned the security apparatus. They still commanded the army. So it wasn't an idle threat that Elijah heard. Elijah heard that his life was at risk. And like many of us, when we encounter the power of God in those great and holy moments away from home. Life has a way of taking over and something negative happens and we decide I'm done. No mas. And that's what Elijah does. He he leaves town. He, He doesn't just leave town. Verses 3 through 5a give us a, a portrait of Elijah abandoning ship. He goes from Carmel in the north all the way to Beersheba in the farthest southern region of Israel. He traverses the country to escape Ahab and Jezebel. When he gets to Beersheba, he leaves his assistant in town, and he goes another day's journey into the desert. He's done. He quits. He's given his staff their severance pay, and he's folded up the tents. And he lays down under a bush and just prays, I'm done, God, kill me. I am I am tired of this stuff. There's there's no there's no reward in being your prophet. Because all that happens when you do good is that you tick somebody else off. Harry S. Truman said that whenever he created a committee, he created nine angry people and one ingrate.
2: and the prophet can feel that way too and Elijah
1: felt that way he's just tired of it the bureaucracy of being a prophet I'm done with it the hassles of putting up with unfaithful people I'm through with it and he quits and he falls asleep And while he's asleep, God's messengers come. And when he awakens, there is a loaf of bread and a pitcher of water. And the angelic presence says to him, Elijah, eat and drink, because the journey is too much for you. Now, the Hebrew construction of that verse is very unique and interesting. It is not translated, the journey has been too much for you. It's not pity. It's not the journey will be too much for you. It's not anticipation. It's the journey is too much for you. Christian faith is too much for us. It's what we do here on a Sunday morning, it's not natural. Gather and commit unnatural acts. We we live in a culture that prides itself on its individualism, that demands from us that we create for ourselves, our own lives. But here we are gathering Sunday in, Sunday out, saying, we think there's another way. There's a way of community. There's a way of sharing life with each other. There's a way of, of, of trying to figure this out together. Some of us have been talking recently about the, what does membership, what does church membership actually mean? I mean, there's a legal reality to church membership. You get to vote at a church business meeting. Only we work by consensus, so we never vote on anything. (laughs) So what's the point? I mean, the only time we'd ever vote on anything is if we're so badly divided on something and we have to make a decision that we have to vote. And at that point, who really wants to be a church member right then and there? So, church membership in that legal sense, not a particularly appealing reality. The truth of church membership is that you have now given permission for everyone else in the room to annoy you, to be part of your life. Craig's going, man, I'm on board with this, I'm all in. Spiritual gift of annoying? Yeah, I'm there. <laughs> we, we are called to this unnatural activity of entering into each other's lives, of giving and receiving counsel, of walking together in the good times and the hard times, of being transparent with one another, of being accountable with each other, of being willing to have people say irritating things to me and and assume, not like we do in the world, that oh, you've got an agenda, but assume instead you are doing your Holy Spirit-driven best to look out for me. And I may not fully understand what you're saying. I may not fully agree with what you're saying to me. But that you're saying it is an act of love. Elijah had been on this journey all by himself. And it was too much for him. And the angelic messenger told him so. And so fortified with food and with that truth, Elijah goes 40 days into the desert to Mount Horeb, to Mount Sinai, to where the 10 words of freedom were first given to Moses. And a divine dialogue is unpacked in verses 9 to 18. God simply asks the question, what are you doing here? What do you want? And Elijah gives his stump speech. I've been very zealous for you, God. I've I've been looking looking after the store. Everybody else has run away. I'm the last one left. I'm the only faithful one in Israel. And God says, maybe not so much. Listen, uh, go stand in that cave there and wait for me to speak to you. And all the great ways in which we anticipate God ought to speak take place. A great wind, an earthquake, fire, all these physical manifestations of how God ought to speak to us. God's voice wasn't in any. God's voice was instead in the quiet whisper. for Elijah. And so God asks again, what are you doing here, Elijah? What do you want? And Elijah, being a smart guy, reverts to stump speech. I've been very zealous for you, God. And I've been, I've been left all alone here trying to do your work. And so God says, eh, clearly you need an object lesson. So here's what I want you to do: go to Damascus. Now he's he's way the heck in the middle of the Sinai Desert. Damascus is hundreds of miles to the north. It's not an easy journey even today to get there. Go to Damascus. Oh, by the way, Damascus—that's the enemy capital. So go go to the enemy and anoint a new king. <laughs> Then go back to Israel and anoint a new king. I'm going to shake up the political establishment, Elijah. Go make ready for that. Then go anoint your successor, Elisha. And, oh, by the way, there are 7,000 people in Israel who have never bowed down to a Baal statue in their lives. 7,000, you are not alone, you moron. You have a great company that's on your side. You've just been so busy, you haven't been looking for them. And with that, Elijah sent on his way. The Apostle Paul in wrestling with the Galatian church argues that the identity of Christian is found solely in Jesus. That's been the whole point of the letter to the Galatian churches. The Galatian churches are are struggling. What does it really mean to follow Jesus? What does it really mean to be a Christian? How do we do this Christianity thing? And because it's a mixed bag in the Galatian churches, some of the folks there are Gentiles, uh, and some of the folks there are, are Jews who have, who have decided to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They're wrestling with all of this. And one of the ways in which they're wrestling, I mean, when, 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 when good Christians decide... They're going to have a fight. The first thing they do is pick up the Bible and says, well, well, my Bible says this. And, of course, then that compels the other side to pick up their Bible and say, well, my Bible says this. And you have a battle of the Bibles. And that's going on in the Galatian churches. Do we follow the Torah, the, the law, the instruction of God, completely... And that makes us Christians by by being completed Jews. Or do we follow Jesus directly through the testimony of the apostles? And Paul begins to argue in chapter 3, and it comes to fruition in this passage, that that the Torah, the instruction of God, is being repurposed through Jesus. Jesus. The role of the Torah was, in essence, to create a boundary, to create a a, a fence, a hedge, to be able to say who's in and who's out. If you do these things in the Torah, you're in. Good for you. Congratulations. And by the first century of the Common Era, by Paul's time, the three most important behavioral acts of the Torah were eat kosher, get circumcised, keep the Sabbath. If you did those three things, you were Jewish. If you didn't do those things, you were a Gentile. In or out, based on those three acts. That was Torah. That was the law. And Paul says, it was good to have a boundary. It was good to have a fence. But you know what? We've got something better now. We have Jesus. And so the Torah has been repurposed, Paul says, from from the custodian of an identity to the revealer of God's mission in the world. That God is at work at something bigger than just what you had for breakfast. That, That God's work in the world is bigger than just whether you wear the appropriate identity markers or set aside a certain day of the week to act more reverent than other days. Torah's been repurposed. And in repurposing it, the faith goes from a hedgerow of rules and regulations, boundaries to a center set of values that everyone relates to. And so our faith becomes detribalized in Paul's eyes. That God is at work making everyone his children, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. Everyone is part of the kingdom of God. And the way we enter into that is through baptism. Taking on this new life, this symbol. By entering into the waters of baptism, we say we are are cleansed from the past. We've died to sin. We've been risen in Christ. Baptism becomes an extreme event. A little bit like bungee jumping. We bungee jump off the platform of our security and our and our theological categories and into the pool of God's grace. And then Paul says because of this great
2: event, this baptism
1: that ushers in God's work, God's reconciling mission. In Christ, there are no meaningful categories. In Christ, gender and class, they don't matter. Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free, There are no categories that ultimately matter in the kingdom of God. We are all one. Regardless of how much money is in our pocket, regardless of how much religious education and experience we have, regardless of our gender, regardless of our orientation, regardless of our politics, whatever category you want to create out there that says, I'm this way and you're that way, They don't matter to Jesus. And therefore, they shouldn't matter to us. That's the gospel. Man, is that hard to do. Because we live in a world that wants to tribalize, that wants to say, Canadians are different than the rest of us. Got to keep your eye on them. (laughs) (laughs) Muslims shouldn't be allowed in the country. We don't know what to do with them. Paul instead says none of those categories matter, not a single one of them. They are there. We don't, we don't renounce our Canadian, just be part of the community. I mean, how could you do that? How you stop being a Canadian? <laughs> I mean, you're so Canadian, it's just obvious. <laughs> you'll, you'll never not be that. But to be in the community, to be part of God's plan, doesn't matter. None of the categories that define us matter to god except one have you said yes to jesus and so paul defines that as baptism gospel is inclusive it brings us together
2: It seems a simple choice, faith over law. But faith leads to freedom, and freedom frightens. Our flesh would rather cling to the seeming safety of walls and to-do lists with neat boxes we can check off or crawl into. We do so love painting ourselves into corners, or escaping into the mountains, imagining Jezebel on our heels, especially when we feel naked and alone. But then comes faith, ushering us into a world of the miraculous, as when God fed Elijah from his own kitchen, sent angels to his side, bearing jars of refreshment to quench his thirst for water and companionship. Though in truth, he was never really alone. There were 7,000 souls as faithful as he. Yes, it is faith that leads to community. We drape ourselves in Christ, the pattern of our lives blend with his, and we become one, rich and poor, slave and free, men and woman, you and me, beloved, all, and welcomed equally.